we're talking about building and building into the lives of kids with kids hope and that sort of stuff and I just I've been really challenged of late with the book of Nehemiah firstly because our renovations are, are, are finally underway so I'm getting excited but also there's incredible truths in the book of Nehemiah so if you have the app it's all on the app our notes are on the app as well and the verses there um, but we've talked about you know we're we're rebuilding a a shop front in the middle of Nambour and we're right in the so for those of you online Nambour's the largest regional town in our area and we get to be right in the middle of it someone said to me the other day I went into Nambour and there's very odd people walking around yes there are there are very strange people walking around but I think they need Jesus too don't you so what a what a joy to be able to sit in there and after all when you when you add it all up some of us are weirdos as well aren't we oh yes some of you are agreeing with me. So we're moving into Nambour. It's been slower than we wanted, but the end result will be worth. But all this renovating, I think about Nehemiah. Imagine this. <laughs> Just take a few moments to imagine this. You're on Facebook one morning, and you see that your hometown, which is in another state, um, is closing the biggest industry and the biggest employer in that area. The whole town is going to go to rack and ruin. You realize that this will cause immeasurable pain to your friends and families. And coincidentally, you are in a, the vice president of a company that works in that field. What would you do? Would you sit by and say, oh, well, that's the, that's the hometown. They can take care of their own. But if you had the ability to touch and change lives back in your hometown, would you do it? Because that's pretty much what Nehemiah faced. Let me give you some background to Nehemiah. Nehemiah is famous because he's the shortest man in the Bible, Nehemiah. But that's not true. <coughs> um, Nehemiah was an incredible guy. Let me give you some background. The Jewish people had been in their land for many centuries, but then they, they were over, overcome by invaders and they were put into Babylonian captivity. And from the, the nation of Judah went into Babylonian captivity. And they were there for 70 years, after which Babylon was conquered by the Medes and the Persians and the Persians came in and they released a number of, of remnant what they call the remnants so a number of Jewish people to go back to the land where they had started out back in um, in Judah now at that time the first time 50,000 Israelites did return to Judah after 70 years that's several generations in captivity they returned to Judah and immediate, immediately began to reconstruct the temple which had been demolished opposition from the local people who'd settled in there was extreme so see they'd taken all these people out and put them in captivity but the people who remained had sort of interbred with other people and so when these guys came back there was a lot of animosity there and this captivity the guys coming back from captivity were soon discouraged and they abandoned their task with only the foundation of the temple being rebuilt that's all a few years later Haggai and Zechariah appeared on the scene and they pointed pointed out the people's neglect and they challenged them to finish the job and, and they completed the temple after 20 years 20 years after their initial return they finally completed completed the temple 60 more years passed then under Ezra's leadership more remnants came from from uh, captivity over there in Persia back to Jerusalem and although the temple had been rebuilt the walls of the city were a shambles and the gates were burned so for 90 years after they first got, so there were 70 years in captivity, then 90 years after that is where we pick up the story here. The people of God are living in Jerusalem, but they're living in affliction and shame. Their city has broken walls and burned gates. Now we can safely say that generations had grown up 
with Jerusalem in this condition. Can you imagine that length of time? So, so the situation is for Nehemiah, his parents and their parents had known nothing but Jerusalem being a shambles. It was normal for them. And that's the way it had been all their lives and their parents' lives, etc. But one of these guys, one of the guys who was still in Persia, hadn't gone back to Israel. In fact, we have no evidence that he'd gone back to Judah at all at this point. He was still over there in Persia. But he had become an official in the Persian court. And he, even though he'd never been to his hometown, something about his hometown drew him. It stirred him up. So let's, let's have a look at Nehemiah and the, the, the things that he got up to. Now, first of all, let me tell you, Nehemiah was a busy guy. He was, he was a busy guy. He was a, a chief court official. They called him a cupbearer to the king, which wasn't just a guy who served the king drinks. He was like the king's chief of staff. He was his key advisor. Yet despite this honor position in this busy life, Jeremiah made a decision. When this report came from his homeland, the things were going bad, he went, oh man, it really rocked his world. He could have just said, oh, well, bad luck for you guys. I'm happy over here. I'm an official in the king's court. I've got it all together. You guys haven't. But something about that stirred his heart. This report from his homeland rocked his world. So God began to stir something inside Nehemiah. And I want to have a look at that this morning. Let me talk, first of all, the calling to rebuild. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, And they said to me, this is them reporting to Nehemiah, The remnant there in the province, which is Jerusalem, who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So he hears this report that everything is a mess back home. And at that point, Nehemiah heard the call, heard this cry of desolation from his own people. Now, again, he could have walked away. He could have put his fingers in his ears and gone, la, 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 and, and not paid any attention to it. He could have just said, well, that's somebody else's problem. That's stuff that those guys are doing. You know, that, that's no, no point for us. I don't want to get involved. I'm too busy doing what I do. But as he prayed, he realized that the Lord was calling him to stand in the gap for his people. The Lord was calling him, and, and he felt it right down to his soul. Have you ever had that situation where you, you might be in, a, in you know, talking to someone and you feel right down in your soul that you need to start sharing with them about the Lord? That's the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah didn't know about that. He just, he just felt this right down in his boots. Verse 4, as, I heard, as soon as I heard these words... I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. How often have we wept and mourned for our people? Let me ask you that. We're Australians. How often have we wept and mourned for our nation? Not very much. We have been too busy whining about masks and lockdowns to worry about interceding and crying and weeping for our people, for a society that is choosing to live against God's laws. How many people in our society are rejecting Christ and, and, and are wrapped up in all this pain and all this fear with COVID and we don't even shed a tear? We just want to get on Facebook and trumpet some, some your point of view or something like that. I believe it's time for tears from God's people, for our nation, because our nation needs us to stand in the gap just as, as Nehemiah did. Do we feel it in our souls, a longing to serve Jesus in our generation, no matter the cost? I've got to tell you, I, I thought about this a lot myself, and I really feel that. I really sense that. 
I want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ with everything I've got, holding nothing back. That's my decision. I hope that's your decision because I believe that God has called me and many of you to serve our community. Do you believe that? And you can't do it with a half-hearted, oh, she'll be right, mate, attitude. You know, Nehemiah sat down and wept for days for the agony his people were going through. Could you walk away or, or would you choose to invest your time, your work, your, your family, you know, everything else, your own agenda? Do you choose to lay those aside and say, all to Jesus, I surrender? We just sung it. How about we do it? Because our nation needs it. 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth to give strong support for those whose heart is blameless towards Him. And I believe this morning the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro across this building and out there in the internet, in internet world. And His eyes are looking around saying, Are you fully dedicated? Are you, are you blameless? Are you committed? Because when we are committed, there is a special anointing that he gives us. When we say, Lord, I just want to stand for you no matter what. Nehemiah was there. I want to be there. I hope you want to be there too. The second thing is he had a compulsion to pray. Did you notice that? That when Nehemiah started, he didn't just fire up. I'm one of the fire up guys. I run ahead all the time. Um, it's not that I know everything. I just can't sit still. And I don't have a reverse gear. So it's always, you know, I'm charging ahead. And, and I'm married to a woman who sort of says, shoot, maybe you should think about this for a while. And here's me off into the sunset, you know. But he didn't do that. He stopped and he prayed. The first thing he did, he stopped and prayed. And he prayed with all his heart. He confessed his sin and his people's sin. And he reminded God of his promises. And the Lord placed, the Lord spoke to him and placed a plan of attack in his spirit. Look at Nehemiah 1 verse 11. It says this. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear in your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who was he talking about? Well, Nehemiah, he had a compulsion to pray, but it, you notice how he prays. He was full on. He didn't sort of pray, God bless mommy, God bless daddy, God bless the whole world. I used to pray that for fear that I'd leave someone out. So, you know, God bless the whole world. That's not what he prayed. He, he knew he had a plan and he said, God, I'm going to talk to this guy and I need your help. So who was the guy he was talking about that, that prompted faith and action? See, he, he was talking about going before the king and that was a really big deal in his day. And I believe now more than ever, we need this kind of prayer, don't you? We have to pray with all of our hearts for our nation. Our COVID world is hurting so many people and, and our first response should be to pray. Number one, we need to pray for our nation. Are you with me? Now, we've done that here in church a lot. We've prayed for our people. That's our first response. We need to pray. But our second response is we need his direction and we need to act. So the third thing is the courage to act. Nehemiah had the courage to act. It's one thing to pray, but stepping out by faith and taking a chance is just as important. James chapter 1 says this. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. <coughs> I believe this morning God's talking us to be doers, not just hearers. 
because we have incredible opportunities, as you've heard this morning. God is going to open up unbelievable opportunities and chapters for us, and we need to be ready to step into those. And the thing I loved about hearing about Kids Hope is you're never too old or too young or too anything else. You know, did you see one of the guys on the video? If my daughter brought him home, I'd be upset. This is my new boyfriend. Really? Can't you you afford a, a shirt with sleeves on? You know? But God uses all sorts of people. That's the incredible thing. So you're not too old to make a difference. You're not too young to make a difference. God can use you. So Nehemiah was a man of prayer, but also a man of obedience and actions. He stepped up. He went to the king. The king was like the boss of bosses. If you've seen, you've seen the mafia movies, he's the boss of bosses. And, and he, was the ki- like he was the number one guy. And he realized that approaching him was a big risk. And he wanted to ask the king if he could personally travel and solve the dilemma his people face. It took great courage because in those days, if you appeared before a king with a sad face, he could execute you. Did you know that? Like if you're having a bad day, don't appear before the king. Because back in those days, particularly in Persia, the king only had happy people around him. You know, it was like Disneyland. Everyone was happy all the time. And that's what it was like. And if you appeared with a, with a sad look on your face, he could execute you immediately. So it says this in Nehemiah 2, verses 4 to 5. Listen to this. And the king said to me, what are you requesting? See, he'd, Nehemiah had appeared and he'd looked sad. And the king thought, hello, what's going on here? And everyone held their breath. What are you requesting, said the king? Nehemiah writes this. So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. Now this took immense courage. Not only did he appear before the king with a sad face, but he asked the king if he could be the one who goes. On one occasion, Frederick the Great, who's a great German king, invited some notable people to his royal table, including his top-ranking generals. One of them was a general by the name of Hans von Zieten. He declined the invitation because he wanted to, to partake in communion at his church. Sometime later at another banquet, Frederick and his guests mocked the general for his religious scruples and made jokes about the Lord's Supper. In great peril of his life, the officer stood to his feet and respectfully rebuked the monarch. He said this, My Lord, there is a greater king than you, a king to whom I have sworn allegiance, even unto death. I am a Christian man, and I cannot sit quietly as the Lord's name is dishonored, his character belittled, and his cause subjected to ridicule. With your permission, I shall withdraw. Wow. Well, the other generals trembled and they held their breath because they knew at this moment that von Zieten could be instantly executed. But to their surprise, Frederick the Great grasped the hand of this courageous man, asked his forgiveness and requested that he remain. Then he promised, listen to this, the king promised that he would never again allow such a travesty to be made of sacred things. This one man made a stand at peril of his life And he made a difference. And that's exactly what Nehemiah did. It took courage. Rebuilding Jerusalem took courage. Standing before Frederick the Great takes courage. And moving into Nambour takes courage also. It does. 
We are, we're having board meetings and I've never seen so many zeros. I don't know what they're all for, but they, they, don't, they don't look good. There's often a minus in front of them at the moment because we're renovating. I tell you, it takes courage. As your pastor, I've had to negotiate contracts, banks and people to get to where we are today. We've had a team that have been dedicated to this, uh, Tim and Tanya, our designer, and they're handling the difficult negotiations with council and engineers and certifier, uh, certifiers. You know, just to live in our society today takes courage. It really does. It takes courage to live for Christ in our society. The enemy wants to thwart that courage. That's why he sets out in the media and the social media. He forces us into the opposite of courage. What's the opposite of courage? Discourage. How many of you have seen around you incredible discouragement over the last 18 months? Yeah? The last 18 months of COVID insanity around the world, almost everyone I talk to is discouraged. Pastors are discouraged. Business leaders, people with kids in other states are discouraged. People in, with kids in other countries was commiserating with Renier. You know, we've got kids, you know, he's got kids in England. I've got kids in New South Wales. They're, they're both a long way away at the moment, aren't they? And we haven't seen them for a long time. And many of you are in that position where people you love, you're not able to get to them. There's discouragement everywhere, but in this climate of fear, God gives us real hope and we need courage. Isaiah 40 verse 31 says this, Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will soar and not be, uh, sorry, they will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. I love that verse because I don't know about you, but I get tired sometimes. And it is so great to know that if we wait on the Lord, if we press into Him, if we have faith in Him, that He will gather under our wings and lift us up like eagles. We can live this life with real courage because we have real hope and Jesus is the source of our hope. Nehemiah too had real hope and courage. He started by letting the king see how sad he was, his emotions. Then he stepped out and asked to be released. Can I be the one that goes back to Judah? And that took, a, that took a lot of courage. He wanted to go and rebuild the walls. But here's the thing, he didn't stop there. That's what I like about Nehemiah. He was, he was bold. Listen to this next verse, Jeremiah 7, uh, two, chapter 2, verse 7 to 8. Listen to this. This is the next thing on, on Nehemiah's agenda. So, king, can I be the one to go? Yes, you can. Here's the next thing he said. If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, uh, given me rather, to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates and the fortress of the temple and the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now this is incredible because he's asking the king not only to approve him going there, he's asking the king to bankroll the whole project. Oh, by the way, I haven't got any money. Could you just kind of pay for everything? Sure. I'm getting used to that. What we face right now in Nambour takes real boldness and courage and provision. But see, Nehemiah provides an excellent example of what happens when we seek God and when we say, I will serve you no matter what. When we step out in faith and take a chance, guess what happens? God starts providing stuff. Need I remind you that it wasn't so long ago we were looking for a place to move and we had no one to buy this property and Lily House wanted to buy it and they had no money 
And God raised up a man who gave us $700,000. God's still in the same business. He's still providing miracles all around the place. We've seen it again and again and again. And I believe he has miracles for you too, for you and your family. Now, the fourth thing Nehemiah had was a commitment to go. The final piece of the puzzle, you can say, hey, let me do it. Hey, bankroll, do all this. But if you never go, it doesn't happen. As they say in the Northern Territory, if you never, never, never go, you never, never know. And so he decided he had to actually go. It's the final piece of the puzzle. This involved a long and fearful journey and a seemingly hopeless situation. What most might be considered a lost cause, it had been for generations. He didn't know who he would encounter, what was required. All he knew was that the city needed him and he heard the call of God and he went. So up he pulls up stumps and up he goes. He makes this incredibly perilous journey right around the top of the Fertile Crescent down and he finishes up, he comes to Jerusalem and what's the first thing he encounters? Opposition. Can you believe it? I came all the way from, from Babylon, all the way right, all the way around here. And the first thing I find is a bunch of whiny complainers and opposition to the work. Nehemiah 2 verse 10. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. They didn't want anybody. They loved it the way it was. It was a mess and they were in control. Yippee, we don't want your sword here anymore. Nehemiah, they recognized, as Nehemiah, I believe, recognized that this was, yeah, there was talk about a wall and rebuilding the wall, but this was never about a wall. He was rebuilding a nation. It's not just the wall. He was rebuilding a nation. Just like our move from here into Nambour, it's not just about physically relocating from here to there. This is about reaching the people in our community. And we've similarly encountered opposition. We've had a very long wait to get this far for approvals. Um, engineers certifies that sort of... Sometimes, I know this is going to shock you, but sometimes Sunshine Coast Council is not helpful. I know you're shocked. But sometimes they, they, they are less than helpful. We've had to contend with resignations within, rumours and lies without, pressures, time frames, dollars, tension. But what keeps me going is focusing on Jesus. And he's called to our church to move in there to reach our community. What kept Nehemiah going was focusing on his call to rebuild the walls and rebuild his nation. We're not just relocating, we're building a community to win a community. Real people, real community, real God. That's what we're about. So the first thing Nehemiah encountered was opposition. And his first response is really interesting. What do you do when you get opposition? Some of you arc up, don't you? Let's be honest. Some of you arc up. And uh, some of you ignore. Guys are really good at this. We just lift up the carpet and sweep it under and pretend nothing's happened. What did Nehemiah, what's the first thing he did when he faced opposition? He didn't fight back. He didn't argue points. He didn't take antidepressants or seek counseling. The first thing he did in verse 12 was this. Then I arose in the night and I told only a few men, or I took a few men with me and I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me except the one on which I rode. What this guy did was he went and checked the place out. So the fifth thing is he went for clear vision. He wanted clear vision. He wanted to see the situation 
as it was. Nehemiah inspected the walls alone. Why? Because he didn't want to go to the people with a half-baked plan saying, look, you'll probably get, you know, I've got this vague idea that we might rebuild the wall somehow. He went out and inspected it and he, he did his due diligence. Have you heard that term? This is a Jew doing due diligence. Think about it. This is a diligent Jew doing due diligence. But he went out and he checked this whole place out. He got the lay of the land. Then he gathered the Jewish leaders together. He did not share with them a vague idea or a great concept or a perceived need. He shared a clear, well thought out vision. Look at verse 17 and 18. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that, it, that had been upon me for good. And I also, the words of the king, that the king had spoken to me. And they said, they got so inspired, they said, let's arise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. That was the start of the whole project. Nehemiah said, here's, here's what God's done for us. Now let's do something for him. That's what he said to them. This is all the things that God's provided for us. Now it's our turn to step up and take a chance and go for it. And I think that's God's message to us this morning, don't you? You could argue that Nehemiah didn't have the complete vision. I don't have the complete vision, but I've got a pretty clear idea of where we're going and how we should do it. He knew, Nehemiah knew what God wanted him to do, and he offered a clear path to his fellows. And I say the same to you this morning. We've seen God do so much, miracle after miracle. It's taken longer than we want. Apparently that's the building game these days. It always takes longer than you want. But, you know, all the frustration, hard times, discouragement, God has done incredible miracles and now it is our turn to step up and say, let's go for it. Are you with me? I believe that God is going to continue to do amazing miracles. He's already doing amazing miracles. I can't share them all with you, but we have had incredible favour and he's granted us favour with town planners and contractors and uh, he's supplied all our needs. So this house is moving. But it was and is and always will be God's house no matter where it is. Don't get attached to a building because the church is the people. That's what he's really building. Yes, we look like we're renovating and building a building, but we are building a community to reach a community. So let me share with you, I believe God is doing a new thing right now. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 to 19, this is a beautiful verse. Let me read it for you. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wilderness. God is doing a new thing. Nehemiah might have looked like he was rebuilding old walls, but he was rebuilding a new nation. At that time, the nation had been in disarray for generations. And Nehemiah just used bricks and mortars to build a nation just used it as a focal point. He reconstituted the Sabbath. He stopped the exploitation of the poor. He protected people from attack. There was way more than just building a wall. And most churches dwell on the past. Have you noticed that? A lot of churches look back on a glorious past of these incredible glory days in the past. Well, we're a fairly new church. We haven't got too many glory days in the past. We've got a few. But I believe the past with all its glories and victories has gone. 
The future with all of its potential is yet to be. The present is what God gives us now. That's why he calls it a present. It's our, he's present to us. And we have now the opportunity to do something incredible. 2 Corinthians 6.2, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. I love hearing that, um, what Denise said there, you know. She just asked a question of the kids. She just took a chance and asked a question and got this incredible response. We need to be the same, like Nehemiah, be ready to step up and step out. Now, as a pastor, I've made a conscious effort not to simply transplant stuff that's worked in the past here and move it down there. Everything about Ignite Church is new. When we start, it's going to be even newer again. So we're going to have fresh ideas, fresh revelations, fresh inspirations. Our youth is new. Our kids' church is new. Men's and women's and seniors and prayers and connect groups, they're all starting afresh. The whole thing is new. That should get you excited. We're not transplanting anything. We're starting afresh. This is a fresh chapter. We have an incredible and glorious chapter that's about to commence. So as we start this incredible journey down to, to Nambour, and it's, I'm, I'm speaking like this because it is actually imminent. Okay, we're not going to be here in six months' time. Oh, God, please let us not be here. Anyway, um, we're not going to be here in six months' time. This is imminent that we're going to be down there. And I'm speaking this way because I believe God is just creating something amazing in you. Isn't that exciting? First of all, because the old one didn't work very well anyway. But I just believe he's just, there's a fresh anointing, a fresh move of his spirit that's coming through our church. It's just knitting us together. So this morning, as Nehemiah did so long ago, when he called discouraged people to commit to this great vision of rebuilding the wall, I am asking you as a church to come with us on this amazing journey. We're not just building a new church building down there. Okay, People say, well, when we get in the new building, we will have arrived. It'll all be awesome. That is not arriving. That is the launch pad for the rest of what God is going to do. We are going to build from there. Us getting into that building is not the end product. That's just the launch pad. And I am so excited of what God is going to do. I don't know the things he's going to roll out, but everyone I talk to is excited right now. God's doing a new thing in your ministry and our chance to partner with you and make that happen is incredible. Now, some of you are old enough here to remember fireworks. Now, look, we all know what fireworks are, but back in the day, we used to be able to play with them, didn't we? Do you remember that? Yes, and many a letterbox has suffered. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Mark? Pretty, pretty sure a few of us uh, went through a few letterboxes in our day. Because uh, I do have to say, a double bunger in a letterbox is a sight to behold. Anyway, that's another thing. Um, but do you remember, like they used to have these things which were called skyrockets, and you put them in a milk bottle. We don't even have milk bottles in. What am I talking about? Oh, my gosh. They were bottles that held milk. Um, and we poured the milk out, and we put this thing in the milk bottle, and we'd light the fuse. Remember that? And the fuse is going, and you're waiting, waiting, waiting. And the excitement's building, you know, and it's on the ground and you're all standing back. And this is not the time to say, I wonder if that's working, you know. And, and, but, but at some point that fuse blows out and suddenly, ka-twang, that thing shoots up in the air that explodes in sparkles all over the place. That's what's happening right now. We've been sitting here, the fuse has been burning. It's been a very long 
slow fuse, but I'm telling you, it's getting right near the end, and this rocket's about to take off, and I think you should be excited. Is anybody excited in the house today? Good. And see, when we do this, like Jeremiah, when we step out and take a chance, God provides the way. There's a promise too in Jeremiah. I'm going to finish with this. Jeremiah chapter 8. Sorry, Nehemiah. I'm talking Jeremiah. Thank you. Sorry, Jerry. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8. Got my prophets mixed up. What is a prophet a man? If you get, anyway, um, Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. Listen to this. Nehemiah says to the people, Do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And there is just, there's a joy that's permeating around this place. And that is our strength. No matter what happens, even if it's bad, we go, you know what? Let's laugh it off and let's, have, let's be full of joy because God's doing a new thing. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. We are surrounded by a society in COVID pain, full of hopelessness and fear. People are languishing. Governments are legislating. Media are lying. Many churches are limping. But beyond all of that, we believe that God is doing something good here because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And we need to be joyful. We need to praise God even when it doesn't work out the way we want. We need to praise God. Romans 15 verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hope is in short supply out there, folks. But we serve a God of hope. And we have him within us. And he is leading us on. Nehemiah stepped up when he was called. He didn't realize what was, was needed, but he stepped up anyway. He decided that sitting in the stands wasn't good enough anymore. He wanted to be on the field, playing his part, doing what God asked him to do. Nehemiah wasn't a builder, but he led the greatest building project of his day. See, God wasn't so much interested in his ability, but his availability. So today, I'm not asking you to do anything today, but I'm still challenging you. I'm simply asking you this. Will you make yourself available to the Lord as he directs you? That's the question I'm asking this morning. Will you say, Lord, here I am, choose me? I'm not going to tell you what he's going to do. I'm not going to ask you to do kids hope or, or you know, do youth or anything. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm asking you to make yourself available to the Lord and say, Lord, here am I, send me. Romans 12 verse 1 says this. I appeal, we know this verse well. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word present is the word parastemi, which means yield. Yield means give way. In America, they have signs with yield on it. And it's the same as our give way sign. Okay, so this word parastemi is made up of two words. Histemi, which means to place or to stand, and para, which means near. So this word means to stand near or stand before. And it's the position that a devoted servant has before the king. He's not away doing something else. He's not, he's not uh, uh, you know, sitting around having eating and drinking. He's standing there beside the king, ready and willing to do whatever the king asks. That's what that word means, to present to be standing beside someone. So today, I'm not asking you to do anything. What I'm asking you to do is to make a decision to yield to him and to say, Lord, here am I, send me, to have, have your way in my life. I know many of you have already made this commitment, but I want to challenge you to do it again. We can't do this enough. Colin said it so well in communion, you know, that the cares of this world just turn your eyes away from, 
from the things of God. There's so many pressures and so much going on. It does us good to remember. And it does us good to recommit and make a stand to Him. So if you truly want to, want to yield your life to the Lord, I'm going to ask you to do it with me because that's truly what I want to do. And if you're really serious, we can do it together. I believe this church is a powerhouse for God. And all it takes is to say, here am I, Lord, send me. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, you're speaking to our hearts right now. And you've called us to make a stand for you. You've called us to be, make ourselves available to you. You've called us to make ourselves available to you, Lord God. And right now, I just want to lead our people, all of us, if you are willing. If this is not for you, just let it flow by. But I believe many of us want to say, Lord, here am I, use me. We just want to be available to whatever God calls us to do. So if that is you, I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. And we're going to ask you to make this commitment with me. Just say this with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me. And because you died for me, I want to live for you. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Just say it to him again. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Just start saying it to him again and again.